All right, man. How you doing? Uh, good, good. Busy, but, uh, you know, lots of good things happening. You? Yes. No, just um, haven't had anything to do in years. Just totally. <laughs> just just <laughs> schedules and wide sitting, open. Sitting around waiting for yeah. it to happen. Normal mm-hmm. life. Life crazy. It's getting a good heavy session in the garage earlier today. So I'm fired up for mm-hmm. this. And, and the goal for everybody at home listening or watching is we've done some CrossFit Journal articles in the past. They were received very well had some actual recommendations to say to keep that kind of going sporadically and so that's what we're going to do and there's another one that we didn't touch on but it's a it's a gem it's called foundations and you can find it if we're not mistaken crossfit journal back in april of 2002 so i'd recommend you go get that thing on your laptop if you're old school go ahead print it out maybe stick a staple in it or something like that and then uh, it's it's one of those articles i think that doesn't get all the recognition of, you know, what is fitness or some of these other mm-hmm. things, but man, it's it's a gem as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I think so too. And, you know, I haven't read this article in quite some time, at least top to bottom. Um, but, you know, I remember a period of time from probably 2004 until, boy, the mid 2010s that I would read every journal article that came out. I would go back and revisit a bunch of them. This particular one was in a batch that I had printed out and bound as part of a book of old journal articles. I mean, this is something that I think informed a lot of uh, people that were early into the CrossFit world. And what I thought was really interesting kind of revisiting this um, after not seeing it in a while was, to me, this kind of represents the unfiltered view of a lot of Greg's early ideas. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think you can, those of you that are familiar with CrossFit and kind of into that theory, uh, you can see a lot of where his other ideas developed from this article and where they become more concise and more easily identifiable, refined, elegant, all those types of things. So it's kind of cool to see this in its raw form. Um, you know, they say about writing that it's like all writing is editing. And so to me, this is kind of the unedited, not as well, um, organized in some ways, but it's got the beginnings and the roots of so many things that become uh, just these kind of beautiful little sound bites that that a lot of things spring out of. I hadn't read this in so long, and I did print it out, you know, um, the other day, and I just sat down on back and I read through and had a highlighter, just old school version. Yep. And man, it was so enjoyable to go back through and just it, it is a gem. It's a little bit on the longer side. Not that it's super long, but I think it's seven or eight pages where a lot of journal articles might be, you know, a couple pages, three pages or something like mm-hmm. that. So it's pretty, he goes down some rabbit holes. And I'll tell you what, maybe I'm just biased. There's so much good stuff in the CrossFit Journal, but I feel like the real treasures are way back. You know, you, you know the, the newer stuff's great, but yeah. the, I think the gems are there. When When Greg was, when he was on it, and when he was in his writing explaining mode, man, he put out some he put out some good works. And so, anyway, long introduction, but I recommend everybody check out Foundations, and it's kind of all what CrossFit's about. And we're just gonna we're not gonna read the whole eight page article that would lose every viewer in the world, but we're just gonna highlight a couple of things that that jumped out to us and just have some fun with them. Yeah, and hey, maybe before we dive in, I, I do have a couple other like kind of bigger picture thoughts. Mm. You know, the first thing that struck me was just like I said, the seeds of so many other things that are planted within this article. Like I think the whole "What Is Fitness" um, article, which is an amazing read, everybody should be familiar with that, in my opinion. 
Um, like I think the roots of it are here. You know, it's it's unrefined a little bit, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, what is CrossFit is there. Uh, this idea that you know routine is something to be avoided, it's there. Uh, so lots of that. But the other thing that really stuck out to me was just kind of okay the time period in which this was written. We're talking, I believe it was released on the website, CrossFit.com in 2002, Mm -hmm. early 2002. And I think a lot of people who haven't been involved for as long as maybe you or I, and are coming to CrossFit a little bit later on, you take for granted how accepting the general kind of health and fitness landscape is to certain modes of training. You know, like you, you see on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube these days, tons of people doing kettlebell routines or tons mm-hmm. of people engaged with Olympic weightlifting or calisthenics or whatever. That was not at all a normal thing back in 2002. Oh, no, this really did, in my opinion, help to shape a lot of that physical culture to come. So I thought that was really interesting. And then I also think what was interesting is the cycles that culture tends to go through. And a lot of the routines that he was... Um, you know, kind of painting as a less than optimal approach, uh, doing body, body part splits followed by cardio, mm-hmm. you know, so much of that has kind of come back into vogue that I think that's interesting as well. So, you know, the more things change in some regards, <laughs> as they say, it's, it's funny. It's funny you say that because on the very first page, um, there's something that jumped out to me that I was actually wondering when I read this uh, a while ago, like, Oh, the landscape's changed so much, right? Like everyone's mm-hmm. doing cleans, everyone's sprinting, everyone understands the value of hard work. Like, you know, no one's training like I did in high school, you know, largely speaking, you know, that fitness has evolved to some degree. But what's funny is because on the very first page, about halfway down, the big paragraph at the bottom is entitled An Effective Approach. And mm-hmm. it basically talks about the old time where you know, you do your weight training, which is your lateral raises, your curls, your leg extensions, and then 20 to 40 minute stints on the stationary bike for your cardio or whatnot. And he says that, you know, across, we've replaced the lateral raise with the push press, the curls replaced with the pull up leg extension with the squats. And for every one long distance effort that our athletes do, we'll do five or six, you know, shorter, high intensity efforts. And I was just like, yeah, of course. But then a funny story, I thought that just, you know, like you said, you see that in Instagram commercials, like it's everywhere and we're immersed in it. Well, our, our two boys, the story has a point. Our two boys, you know, we live up here <laughs> in rainy, rainy Washington state. So they wanted some place to like play basketball during the winter, which is like eight months of rain. And mm. so there's a, uh, it's not like a 24 hour fitness, but it's like a health club, like one of the more popular local health clubs in the next town over. And they have a couple indoor basketball courts. So we set up a tour and we we're going to go there. And I was like, you know what? This might be pretty good when it's pouring down rain. The boys are shooting hoops. Maybe I'll go into the other room and get in a lift or sprint or whatever. And man, we walked around this place. Now, I'm going to get some hate for this because heaven forbid you take a stance and anything. And you know, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> poking fun at anybody, but I felt like being a CrossFitter and for working out in my garage for so long and only being around other CrossFitters, we got this tour through all their different facilities. And it was, here's the cardio room. Here's mm-hmm. our, here's our core strength room. Here's our like, not like, it was like a time capsule. And there were people in there. Again, hey, they're not on the couch. Okay. So leave the comments to yourself. But they were in there doing the, like exactly what this article was talking about. The, the lowest intensity. I don't know if I saw a drop of sweat. 
I never heard like elevated breathing anywhere. And that was my life for many, many years. And since I got away from it, man, I hadn't seen it in so long that I just, and to each their own, but I felt like, man, you guys are going to be in here for an hour, 90 minutes or whatnot. And if I could impart you some knowledge or give you an article to read, you could be in here half the time if you so desired and get exponentially more bang for your buck in that shorter period of time. If we change some movement selections, we understood a couple of things about intensity. We talked a little about a little bit of routines and and things would things would propel forward fast. But it was it was interesting, man. I hadn't been in an environment like that for the longest time and they are still out there, my friend. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, and you know, so to kind of tie it back to the article, you know, a, a big part of what Greg starts to talk about in this is the what he calls the neuroendocrine response to exercise, which basically, it's kind of the, um, the early, uh, what would you say, I guess, kind of the early um, foundations of his argument that intensity is so integral to many of the adaptations that you're going to make and explicitly because that intensity is the only way to get that kind of response from the body on a hormonal level um on a on a response to stress level you simply can't do that with sets and reps that don't really push you out of that zone maybe those sets and reps are difficult at the end of their rep range whatever but they never get that same response that you get with more high intensity activity. And and so planting that flag and saying, hey, there is a difference in outcome, to your point, maybe it doesn't demonize the fact that you're in there and and doing things. You're in there still better than doing nothing. Yep. But there is a hard stance that says, hey, this is an important element and you will miss out on very critical adaptation without it. And, And that's like, at that time, that was a very radical statement. And I think to your point, it still is for a lot of people. And I think it's easy to forget. I think people, well, even within the CrossFit space, oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, they, they, they kind of come back to this thinking that like, well, I do my workout and then I got to come back and do this low intensity accessory work. That's essential. And you're like, hmm, which part of the coin is actually the essential stuff here? You know, what, so, and interesting. And- this is only a mild rabbit hole. We're not going down a full yeah. rabbit hole, although p- yeah. people enjoy the rabbit holes. But what you just said, I think is so important. It is wrapped up in this article. And what I like about this article, even though, like you said, it's potentially a bit rough compared to some of his later works, is mm-hmm. he drew a line in the sand. And he said, this is what we're about. This is different than what you're <laughs> normally seeing. You do not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and this is what we're about. And this is what CrossFit is, and this is why it works. And if this is totally contrarian to what you're used to, that's probably why you're not as fit as you can be or should be. Mm-hmm. And he just owned yeah. it. He's like, yeah, you might be upset, but sorry. Um, but proven that this works and is what it is. And what you just said about the neuroendocrine response, which is basically a, a hormonal, you know, positive hormonal response to the work that you're doing. And getting back to maybe what some people even to this day still miss, we touched upon it on a previous episode, was kind of the difference, um, and maybe you can help me walk this through, between strength and power, which was Mm -hmm. a lot of the old workouts that I did back in my just body splits days, and a lot of them that I saw when I walked through the gym there was, it was strength training. I'm going to do three sets of 10, four sets of 10, some hypertrophy work, um, you know, big sets of rest between that. With a lot of the things that we do in CrossFit, yes, strength is important, but we're going to try to maximally do as much work in a short period of time, whether it's through an explosive lift like the clean or whatnot. 
And the power generated with some of the lifts and movements that we choose in CrossFit not only has that strength component, but that power aspect is huge for the neuroendocrine response. And that is largely what was lacking in a lot of those other routines is it just wasn't a power component there. There was that old classic definition of strength of like, you know, maximally recruiting as many motor units as possible, but there wasn't doing as much of that in as short a period of time. That was absent from that training. So if you're talking about things that made CrossFit unique then and to this day and how to get bang for your buck, the neuroendocrine response, that leads to power. And if you want power, well, now by its very nature, you've defined some movement selections that are largely not single joint isolation, slow moving, low power moves. That's all kind of wrapped into this article. Yeah. And to take that a step further, there's this whole section about, um, you know, the value of the Olympic lifts. And there's some hinting in there uh, and, and some really direct language around, you know, okay, there's plenty of people that omit these from a program because they are difficult to learn mm-hmm. and because they are time consuming to master. And again, there's a, another clear line being drawn in the sand here where the argument is actually the inverse. It's like, because these are difficult, because they take time to learn, they are valuable for that reason. And because of that, they offer some benefit that you will be missing if you just choose to say, okay, well, this is something that maybe it's not going to be my sport ever to compete in the snatch and the clean and jerk. Therefore, I don't need to learn this stuff. Um, You're missing out on a ton of motor pattern integration, a ton of explosive development, uh, you know, all sorts of things that are going to carry over to various other athletic endeavors, um, discarded because it's, quote, difficult to learn, um, which I think is, uh, again, like it's a really big departure. There's not this reductionist approach to fitness that says, well, muscle A is working in this exercise. Therefore, any exercise where muscle A is working in an easier way gets the same effect. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not at all going to be the outcome when you look at it on a holistic approach or from a holistic approach. And it is also linked together because, you know, what you just said there, if the movement, whether it's a barbell, a gymnastics movement, whatever it happens to be, by its nature is, let's just say, more complex, requires more time to learn and more practice than something which is not, well, that incorporates another key aspect of CrossFit, which is we actually have to engage your brain, your central nervous system, mm-hmm. the whole coordination, accuracy, agility, balance, which Greg always used to say was just stripped from traditional, yeah. the lifting world, 100% correct. So if you come across a movement, and you're like, well, this is a little bit difficult to learn. At, you know, at first, you might want to be like, if you understand what we're talking about here, there could be tremendous value in that learning process for you to express power once you get that movement down, to have that brain-body connection, to go down this road of movements that elicit a neuroendocrine response that others don't to that degree. So it's all, it's all good things. And what I also really liked about this article, and it kind of jumps out right off the bat, is the very first line of it. It says, CrossFit is a core strength and conditioning program. And he talks about core in a second later. But I love the fact that he said strength and conditioning program because I feel like I have this conversation over and over and over again that a lot of people believe that CrossFit is a conditioning program and you need to do something else to get strong. And it's like, no, CrossFit is a strength and conditioning program. And you could say it's the most effective minimalist strength and conditioning program that I've at least been exposed to, but don't, but don't get 
you know, misguided by it. If you do at least what I believe is the proper execution of the methodology, getting strong won't be something that challenges you. So this is not just a conditioning program. And he laid it out in the very first sentence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I'm very happy to kind of freewheel this. That's already what we're doing. Keep, okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's continue down that road. So kind of to piggyback off of that, yeah, it's a strength and conditioning program. I think later in the article, um, this kind of salient because we talked about this a, a few episodes back, which was the difference between an athlete and just the average person that goes to the gym. Why would you consider yourself an athlete? And he spells that out very clearly. It's like, hey, an athlete is somebody who's just trained explicitly in strength and skill. It's like, mm -hmm. well, there you go, right? It doesn't mean you're going to be top of the heap, but you're, you're trained in strength and skill. Boom. Yes, you're an athlete if you're engaging in this. Um, and then what I thought was interesting uh, was he goes on to describe a fringe athlete, quote unquote, as somebody who, you know, is either maximizing one area of fitness at the expense of all the others and how that's often seen as a pinnacle of fitness versus what it actually is, which is a fringe development of a, of a subset of fitness, mm -hmm. um, wherever that happens to lie. So that was an important distinction that I think hadn't really been emphasized previously. Um, and then I think that also applies really in a, in a kind of neat way to where we see a lot of competitive CrossFit falling out today, where he talks about the time required to become really fit. And there's a discussion in there about like, yeah, I mean, if you have an hour a day, five or six days a week, you're going to get really, really fit. And that's all it should take. Athletes that train beyond that are basically pursuing a fringe development. And I thought that was really interesting seen through the light of the modern kind of competitive landscape of CrossFit where it's like, yes, I think that is true even in that regard. Like are these athletes freakishly fit by the definition of broad, general, and inclusive ability to, to display result? Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. Uh, does that mean categorically that people that don't take it to that extreme that just engage in this five or six days a week are not fit well of course they're not comparatively if, as fit but are they fit i think the answer is absolutely you can get very very fit maybe not to this fringe competitive aspect of it but that's become its own thing and it, it, it's it's kind of cool to see that that philosophy can apply even within our own sphere you know what i mean where where people have become oh, yeah. quote specialists at not specializing uh and and just kind of what that means for the average person in terms of like do you have to compare yourself to that top end to consider yourself fit and i think you know you and i argue all the time that the answer is no you can be plenty fit without ever having to qualify for a competition mm -hmm. um and and that has become its own thing uh it doesn't mean it's separate than than crossfit and obviously the pursuit is very similar in a lot of ways uh, but it shouldn't be mistaken for what the generalist needs in order to be considered, you know, prepared. Another conversation that I had all the time, if I had a dollar and every time I had it, I mean, if you give me 30 minutes a day, a few days a week, and one day a week, you can give me an hour, you will be an unchained beast of fitness. It's just, that's all the time that you need. Anything more than that is fluff. If we're not messing around, mm -hmm. we're getting in there, we're getting to work. 30 minutes a day, I can do most things that I need. And then like today, my workout was a five by five front squat. And with my general warm up, my building up my warm up sets, I took three minutes rest between each one of my actual working sets. All that took me 50 minutes. And so I had some time to you know put the bar away, stretch my hip flexors and get back in here. So that one day a week, 
And if it wasn't the front squat, it was a clean and jerk. Like whatever your dedicated heavy day was, you give me that once a week and you give me a couple 30-minute days. Not only are you good to go, but again, not to get on the, you know, the soapbox here, but we're talking about an old article from 2002. And, and when this first came out, there wasn't the affiliate model either, right? That's why that's not mentioned here. This goes right along nicely with that old garage gym revolution article where not only do you yep. not need a, a lot of time and you don't need a lot of whatever, you don't need a lot of space. You have a very minimal, you get a barbell leaning in the corner of your garage, a stack of bumper plates because you can't even afford like a plate carrier one. It's just a stack of bumpers, a box that you constructed on something, a pull-up bar. And if you're lucky, a set of squat stands, okay, a bike and row would be great, but you, you don't have it. You can go out and just run on planet Earth whenever you need to. You will be an absolute animal. <laughs> I mean, an animal, okay? And it's I think that, on top of everything else you said, it can be just so easy to lose the bubble on these mm -hmm. days. Got to have more of everything. I need more routines. I need more reps. I need more sessions in the gym. I need more gear. I need more time. You don't need any of that. I think it's Tommy Hackenbrook that said a long time ago that you don't need a harder workout. You need to go harder in your workout. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, to kind of keep talking about points that jumped out to me that I think ring really true and also kind of reflect some of the things that we've talked about recently on the podcast. Um, you know, there's a whole section not too far into the article called, is this for me? Mm -hmm. And the yeah. first word is absolutely exclamation mark, <laughs> right. which I just think is so great because <laughs> even back then, in 2002, you know, nobody's talking about um, oh, who gets to be included or who is being excluded or whatever. The question is, is really just summed up as, yes, this is for you because the benefit that is, uh, you know, conferred to you by engaging with this is so big and so important that, yes, it absolutely should be something that you pursue. Um, and then he goes on in the athlete section that I was talking about before to talk about, yeah, why... Why are you considered an athlete? Well, because you pursue these particular developments. Cool. Mm -hmm. Why is that a good thing? Why? Because athletes experience way greater health benefits when and it comes yep. to their physicality than non-athletes. And to include, you know, less bone degeneration, better quality of life in their older years, um, you know, less depression. These are all things that are listed out in, very succinctly in this, this uh, kind of trickle-down effect of like, yeah, who's this for? Everybody. Are we going to consider you an athlete? Yes, absolutely, because you're developing these specific things that athletes do. Why is that important? Because athletes have a better quality of physicality and life in their later years. You know, like this is bare bones stuff that has nothing to do with your score on a leaderboard today mm -hmm. and is really kind of playing this long game in many ways um, that I think is, it's easy to lose sight of in the moment and it's easy to lose sight of that this is been a part of the history basically since the get-go man okay not to go fully down this rabbit hole because we'll we'll talk do about it. it we'll talk about <laughs> it more in depth maybe for its own show but when you're talking yeah. about you know movements that you do in the gym how they transfer to later in life uh things of that nature there was there's under the is this for me section after he says the absolutely an exclamation point he says your needs and the Olympic athletes differ by degree, not kind, which is one of his, as far as I'm concerned, it's just yeah. a gem of a, you know, and what he means by that is 
if you are pursuing the 10 general physical skills that an Olympic athlete or somebody that you watch on television, they need to develop prowess in those 10 general physical skills to win games, to win medals, to win all that stuff. Well, the rest of us need it because life on planet Earth demands all of these 10 general physical skills to one degree or another. And if I'm not training them, I'm doing myself a disservice. I may not need them in this, I don't, I don't need to have my clean to the same level as an Olympic lifter, but there's benefit to me cleaning as well. That was his kind of general point, which was kind of groundbreaking as well back then. Nobody compared people's grandparents to Olympic athletes, you know, as far as I was mm -hmm. concerned. And, and he says basically that, you know, where's the line here? In fact, you know, squatting is essential to maintaining functional independence and improving fitness. So it's both independent and fitness. And I'm kind of living that life right now. Again, we won't get fully into this. You're read in, mm. but the general public yeah. isn't. But, you know, I've, I've made mention that before that around about 23 years ago, I broke my pelvis um, doing something stupid in the military. And I got two plates and 11 screws, you know, bolted it back together. And it's just been my friend ever since then. You know, and it comes with the territory, you know, chronic pain, arthritis, blah, 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 woe is me. You know, but as the years go on, you know, things wear down. I knew that in my future, there was going to be some sort of maintenance, which would have to be done to the facility down there. And so I finally went and saw an orthopedic surgeon who, when I found this guy, I was like, look, I need an orthopedic surgeon that doesn't think strength and conditioning is the work of the devil, that they understand the value of squatting and deadlifting and all this stuff. And I found a great one that like works on professional teams up here in the Seattle area. And he was super cool. Guy was in shape, younger guy. He was great. And, uh, and, showing my x-rays and on the side, the right side, which is where the injury was, uh, there's just no cartilage there. It's like it's level four arthritis. And I was like, well, how many levels are there? He's like, there's only four. I was like, okay, roger that. Just <laughs> you maxed full, it out. Maxed top it out. Of Congratulations. <laughs> top of New the list. PR. Just full bone on bone. I haven't had an x-ray done in over a decade, so I don't know how long it's been grinding bone on bone, but that explains the pain. And he was so cool that he was like, look, you know, you've got you and I are going to be meeting again in the future soon. Again, we'll get into that in, in another show. But he said, it's a testament. He goes, you've made it 23 years. He goes, I see people that don't make it anywhere near that, that uh, amount of time who are sedentary and inactive and not doing stuff because they had such an injury. He goes, the fact that you have continued to move, you have continued to squat, you've continued to load your body and stress your system He's like, that's why you made it 23 years. He's like, it's a testament to staying fit. And so it's funny because I remember a very long time ago, sitting in chairs, my L1, you know, hearing these words from, you know, Greg himself and just anything about, I was more interested in the performance in the moment aspects, right? And all the stuff, the quality of life, all that was down the road stuff that I don't have to worry about. Well, now fast forward the clock many years and I understand you know, like I said, I went into my garage today on my level four arthritis hip and got in a five by five heavy front squat, worked up to 255. You know, understanding that doing this sort of thing is exactly what I need to not only have physical prowess and explosive hip opening. And if I choose to participate in a sport, it's going to treat me well. But as the decades tick on, I want to maintain my ability to raise and lower my center of mass, like regardless of what's in the barbell. I want to maintain my ability to go up and down stairs to chase my daughter around. And these, and the pec deck ain't going to get me there. It's probably <laughs> the best thing that I can say. You know, my orthopedic surgeon never brought up the pec deck as something mm. mission critical to me supporting life. It was squatting well, or, and deadlifting. 
or I was going to say, how about something more, you know, specific to that joint? I'm sure he was not like, well, Pat, here's what you need to do from here on out is sit on the adductor machine and uh, go to town. Right, you know, I, right. I'm sure and, that... and, I'm, and I'm sure I'll get some interesting, you know, physical therapy um, uh, exercises, but but it's all with the end game of getting back to the squat. Like that's mm-hmm. where we're going. Yeah. It's so all these things are um, are related. Whatever phase you're in in life, you will be in a later phase later on. So I would also recommend that you um, train with the end game in mind. Yeah. So that was a bit yeah. of a rabbit hole there. No, I think that was a great rabbit hole. Um, yeah, I just, uh, I guess those are kind of my bigger, broader thoughts. So I don't know, maybe you want to jump in to some more specific topics linearly. Um, I guess the only other thing that jumped out to me was the dietary recommendations that are towards the bottom. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he talks about, uh, I'm just trying to get there on my computer here. Um, just give me one second. So the there's a diet part. Yeah, what on should the I last eat? page. Yep. What should I avoid, et cetera. And if you look at the density of information that comes before it, pretty significant. And mm-hmm. part of that is establishing nutrition as the most fundamental element. He talks about that earlier in the article. But yet, when we get to the end, the dietary recommendations are pretty simple and pretty straightforward. And I think that's really interesting because I feel like today, and maybe this is just my perception, but nutrition has become one of these topics that there's been such a mountain made out of a molehill, in my opinion. <laughs> and I don't mean molehill in the sense of it's not an important topic to to tackle, mm-hmm. but molehill in the sense that people have looked at increasingly small areas of nutrition to argue about, while often discounting the larger building blocks and making sure those are in place. And I would argue that like this kind of basic focus on what I'll call nutritional literacy of just, hey, there's some basic building blocks that you got to focus on and some basic things to avoid. And whatever you do within that is kind of fair game. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems to be less popular these days. It seems like there's more and more focus on less and less impactful factors. And again, oh maybe that's goodness. just the, uh, the things that are, are kind of sticking out to me in the greater fitness landscape. But um, man, I'm, I'm always constantly surprised at what people choose to pull their hair out about uh, given their nutrition when, you know, they can't tell me the difference between a carbohydrate and a fat. Right. It's, yeah, it's, it's wild. So, I'm looking at it anyway. now to see if this was mentioned in this article. Let's see. Yes, it is. You're right. It, it's like four sentences is the entire what I should eat part. And there's one sentence in there which gives no specifics, and it's so simple and vague that maybe you can overlook it. It's one of my favorite things that I've told so many people, which is, it says, many have observed that keeping your grocery cart to the perimeter of the grocery store while avoiding the aisles is a great way to protect your health. And that that holds up. I think about that all the time when I go into the grocery store, and I've told so many people that who didn't want to hear a big talk about nutrition that I was like, look, if you just didn't walk down the aisles, Stick to, the, stick to the perimeter. And as I always used to say, when I'd say this to a group, I understand that they have stuck the bakery on the perimeter. So if you go around <laughs> the perimeter, just go around the bakery. And what you're going to get, you're going to hit the deli. You're going to hit, you know, um, all the, the meats, the seafood. And then you get, get all the fruits and the vegetables. And then you're going to, you know, you know then you're gonna bypass the bakery. And then you're going to leave. And if you mm-hmm. did that, 
and you didn't know much else about nutrition, but you're like, well, I'm going to buy seafood, meat, uh, fruits and vegetables. We'll see how this goes. It's going to go pretty well. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not going to go. And then when you go down the aisle and you get a box of the cinnamon uh, pop tarts, well, then it starts to go into a different direction. The aisles are usually where it's easy to get a bit off the rails. Well, and then, you know, the other thing, again, to kind of loop this back around to the talking point around modern competitive CrossFit as its own specific entity, I think it ties in nicely with these dietary recommendations at the end of this article, where he's clearly speaking through a lens of what it takes to engage with strenuous activity on a regular basis that lends itself to being generally fit, mm -hmm. not what it takes to try to supercharge that and become specifically good at the activity that is now known as competitive CrossFit, which starts to include a lot of like weird things. You see this with a lot of competitors. They're like, oh, well, you know, my total carbohydrate count is astronomical. <laughs> right. And the average person interprets that as, well, this is what I should be doing if I want to be pursuing CrossFit in any capacity yes. instead of just this niche application. Um, and so it's, it's, it's refreshing to see nutrition, number one, presented in just the simple light, because I do think at its heart, it, it can and should be very simple, mm -hmm. much like learning so many of these movements. Like, yeah, you got to dig in a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's not beyond you to learn how to do the clean. Um, right. And, and secondarily, having this kind of nutrition talk filtered through the lens of this is what we're looking at for the biggest holistic impact to your health, longevity, and general fitness, not what is specifically uh, recommended to be good at the activity now known as competitive CrossFit. Mm -hmm. So it, it's, it's nice to see those two things, uh, you know, kind of revisited, in my opinion. You know, I think, I think hopefully with what everybody's appetite enough that they check out the article and kind of, you know, break it out, highlight it for themselves, post some questions, whatnot, because it really is fantastic. And, and each each part of what we do has its own nice little section, you know, talks about aerobics and anaerobic training, gives the Olympic lifts its due, talks about gymnastics, power, what you should eat. It really is, you know, what's functional movements, why are we doing it, what it takes to be an athlete. It's a great deal. And I really do enjoy the little section about just basically the extraordinary value of gymnastics training. And that's just something that, again, I would have to say, you know, everybody loves the barbell. I front squatted heavy today. I get it. But when you're talking about ways to develop those neurological components like coordination, accuracy, agility, and balance, there's more fruit on that tree with gymnastics and what you can play with that's unbelievable. And we've talked about this before, right? Now, what you snatch might not be a crazy load, but if you are snatching 95 pounds, let's say that, you are doing the most complicated movement on the face of the earth with a barbell. You're doing it. In the world of gym gymnastics, you are in like the mo you're a single cell organism that hasn't even explored complexity. Like most of the things that we consider challenging and complicated is what four-year-olds are doing in gymnastics class. I mean, there's so much more on that bone that if you don't feel like you are being challenged enough, just do a little exploration on Google as to different, different gymnastics routines, movements, holds, things of that nature. And you can be so strong with the barbell and then you try to hold like your body in a lever, a front or back lever, and you're like, whoa, I thought I was really strong. What is happening right now? So I would 
I would recommend the more the exploration of gymnastics. It gets it gets credit in the foundation article, and I think all of us would be better served by doing a bit more gymnastics as well. That's my little yeah. two cents there. Yeah, fair enough. I um, you know, one thing I tried to pick out was okay. This is an old article. It's I think we both agree that it's a little raw as far as its expression of some ideas that became more polished later on. And so I, I did try to ask myself, like, okay, what types of things did I see that 20 years later seemed to be maybe off base or, you know, the recommendation wasn't quite where mm -hmm. the reality bore out to be? And um, the one thing I kept coming back to is this idea of sport, you know, and that's something that's at the top of the pyramid for the theoretical development. Um, you know, he talks about it in, uh, let me find the section here. Um, boy, I just thought a second ago. Let's yeah, see. it's in the after we talked about the, routines. Page number three. What is what is the CrossFit method? It's on the right. page that has Dave Lay's holding a barbell over his head, doing like a Turkish getup with the barbell. Yeah. So he talks about. Oh, there we go. Okay. Uh, oh, I don't see it there. The what is the CrossFit method? It's a diet, metabolic conditioning, gymnastics, weightlifting, and then sport. If that's what you're talking about, sport applies fitness in competitive atmosphere with more uh, randomized yes, movements. Go. Yeah, and then uh, later in the article, there's discussion about you know how sport is injected to you know challenge people and kind of the random nature of sport. Like you're playing a team sport, you're not going to know that's the ball is going to be in this place at this time. You know, mm. you can anticipate, sure, but at the end of the day, it's like you have to be able to put it together at that time in that place reactively. And that's a really important thing. So great, that foundation is all really solid, but there's no real, um, I guess, directive on how to actually accomplish that. And I think it's kind of interesting because I think that's where most people, if they're looking at like the purest CrossFit view, where they're going to fall short is like they don't engage in things that would be considered kind of outside of normal training and sport. Yeah as regularly. And I Guilty. think it's interesting. Yeah, sure. And and I also think it's, that's kind of the least uh, mapped out section here. Like there's discussion about the importance of it, but there's not a lot of directive as far as how to achieve that within this other training that you're about to do. You know, there's very simple recommendations for exercise selection, mm -hmm. days of the week, you're going to train time, you're going to train. But the sport idea is kind of undeveloped. And, and interestingly, I think that remains a little bit undeveloped um, throughout kind of CrossFit lore, even yeah, though fair a lot of people agree that it's a good idea. It's like that, the how of that still seems like it hasn't quite been cracked by a lot of people. Yeah, it's, uh, and, it read, and it occupies the top of the pyramid. Yeah, exactly. So, so that to me kind of stuck out as a shortcoming if there was one. I say, like, hey, this is a great theory, but of the other things discussed, there's very little information on how to actually apply this and, and reap the benefit that is, you know, purported to be there. Yeah, so check it out. It's, it's a gem and uh, yeah, it'll, it'll serve you well. But that's, I think that's about all I got without boring anybody too much. Yeah, me too. And um, yeah, I think it's a great read. Um, man, so much meat on the bone. Um, so worth it to just have that as, as like on the kitchen table and, uh, over the next, you know, couple of days, just read a, a paragraph or two over your morning coffee and just think about that. I, I, I think there's lots to ruminate on. 
Well, hopefully people enjoy this. Post your thoughts and comments down there if you've read the article, what jumped out to you, points that either we hit on or ones that you know we missed that really mean a lot to you for a particular reason. Or if anyone out there has an article that you think is really worthwhile that we should dive into and you'd like to hear kind of dissected in the show, post that and let us know because we're always open to new thoughts, ideas, suggestions on this topic or any other topic. And of course, go to verynotrandom.com. Check out all the cycles that we offer, help you get your first strict pull-up, ring muscle-up, walk five feet on your hands, you know, deadlift a thousand pounds. I can't guarantee that, but there's, there's deadlift, deadlift stuff, barbell stuff. So check. Results may vary. May vary. <laughs> Only takes 10 days. It's that whole safety, efficacy, efficiency right. thing. 99 people die, but the one person that survives gets a thousand pound pull. Uh, so yeah, so check that out. We get some good stuff. And as always, for Adrian Bosman, I'm Pat Sherwood, and we will see you next time.